Greetings to those who watch below. It's that time of week where we have another stop on our US paranormal tour. Today, we're heading to the state of Iowa. But before we start, I'd like to say thank you to Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, M.A. Way, Julie B., Jess Black Curtain, Christina Groves, and LT Punisher 666 for being those who dwell below. If you'd like to join them and have your name shouted out at the start of every video as well, make sure to check out the link in the description box. You can also find me on Instagram at brimstone underscore below and on Facebook at brimstone below. Also, if you really, really like a video, you can also now leave a super thanks as a special way of supporting the channel further. But for now, sit back, relax and enjoy Brighter Than Light and Darker Than Black by Medial. I'm a 22-year-old male from Northern Iowa. I was born in Minnesota, went to college in Florida, and currently live in New York City. But all of my experiences with the paranormal happened while I lived in Iowa from the age of 6 to 18. The specific experiences in this story weighed on me quite a bit, and it's been very difficult for me to talk about. So, here we go. I worked at a movie theatre for all four years during high school as a projectionist. I also cleaned every Sunday morning. My most harrowing experiences happened on consecutive Sundays while I was cleaning the theatre alone. There were three screens in our small venue in rural Iowa. Like any normal Sunday, I had cleaned the lobby, bathrooms and concession stand, and had moved on to the theatres. I turned the service lights on in Theatre 1 and began cleaning, listening to music on my iPod when I happened to look up. What I saw is very difficult to describe. I looked up towards the top left of the movie screen and saw what I would call a human-like figure floating in mid-air. I didn't see it for long, it sort of flashed in my peripheral vision, but after it happened I could see it very clearly when I closed my eyes like seeing a camera flash after a photo. I might have spent more than half an hour in the theatre collecting my thoughts afterwards, in a complete state of shock. To the best of my ability, I would describe it as a very tall and lanky figure of bright white light. It had no eyes, no face, no fingers or toes, just an incredibly bright person. I would estimate it at being at least 10 feet tall, with limbs about 6 to 8 feet in length. I can still see it very clearly when I think about the experience. Also, I had an overwhelming feeling that the figure was male, even though it had no features. For some reason, even though it was just a moment, I felt that this particular being was angry with me, or had ill intent. I couldn't continue my job, and left the theatre immediately. I didn't tell anyone about this, and resumed my job, projecting on Tuesday night and showing up to clean on the next Sunday. This time, I was wary of entering the theatre. I started with the manager's office to try and get my mind straight. I unravelled the cord on the vacuum behind the door and cracked open the door to the lobby. As I did this, I saw the same figure walk right by the doorway. I was looking down at the floor and so I only saw what I would call the legs. It walked by very quickly. As this was the second week in a row that I had experienced this thing, I was obviously disturbed. Not usually one to tell people, I actually called my mother to come and help me finish the job. 
She did, and nothing else happened for the duration. For some days, I thought I might be crazy. I even thought my mum might think I was a little weird. But I knew what I saw, and I saw it on multiple occasions. Each time, I felt extreme chills down my whole body, and felt an indescribable sense of dread. I didn't like it. After the experience with the doorway, I never saw this entity at the theatre again, but I was still very scared of cleaning the theatre, which I actually continued to do for another year before college, but I firmly believe I saw the same thing at my house some time later. It was late one night, and I was alone watching television. All the lights in the house were off besides the TV, so it was very dark, pitch black even. Again, I happened to look away, this time at the hallway leading to my bedroom. As I watched, I saw a very tall figure walk past the doorway. My doorway is eight feet tall, and I only saw up to its shoulders, but even though I was looking at complete darkness, it seemed to be even darker than pitch black. It actually stood out as being darker than complete darkness. It walked by very quickly, and I'm happy to say that this was the last time I saw this apparition. To this day, I'm not really sure what I saw, and I've never heard a story quite like it, but I'm so thankful that I've not seen it since. It appeared as both an incredibly bright light and also as blacker than pitch black. Obviously, it's very tough to describe, but it was very unsettling to see something so out of proportion and with no human features. I think the most unsettling part was the length of the limbs, especially the arms, which seemed to be longer than I am tall, and its overall height. I believe I experienced some sort of demon or malevolent entity. I can still feel the negative thoughts from the initial sighting, and I have tears in my eyes reliving the experience. I haven't told anyone besides my parents and a very close friend or two. The Black Angel of Death in 1839, Iowa was not yet a state, and its territorial capital was located in Burlington. The Iowa Territory was what would eventually become Iowa, along with the majority of Minnesota and the Dakotas. Governor Robert Lucas decided to move the capital closer to the centre of the territory, or at least a little further from the bottom of it, so the legislature created Iowa City in 1839. Two years later, the capital of the territory was moved there. As it grew from a tiny hamlet into a smaller city, a problem arose. There was no place to put the dead. And so the territorial legislature deeded Oakland Cemetery to the people of Iowa City in 1843. Located in northeast Iowa City, the cemetery is the resting place for several prominent statespeople, including Robert Lucas, former governor and United States Senator Samuel Kirkwood, Walter Jessup, and Virgil Hancher. It is also the resting place of the Feldevert family, whom this story is centred on. The official story goes something like this. Teresa Dolezal Feldevert was born in Bohemia in the Czech Republic in 1836, and was a practising physician when she immigrated to Iowa City with her son Eddie. Eddie died of meningitis at 18, and was buried in Oakland Cemetery, to honour him, she had a monument of a tree stump with an axe sticking out of it, erected over his grave. This presumably 
was a metaphor for a life cut short. Teresa moved to Oregon and married her second husband, Nicholas Feldvert, who also died, and so Teresa returned to Iowa City in 1911 with her husband's ashes in tow. Mr. Feldvert had an estate valued at $30,000 at the time of his death. Ms. Feldvert started to make plans to construct a monument for her family, and eventually commissioned sculptor Mario Corbel, who was also a native of Bohemia, and was making an impression in the Art Institute of Chicago. The angel sculpture was made of bronze and took months to create, with it eventually arriving in Iowa City in November of 1912. There seems to be some dispute about whether or not it was immediately installed, as Ms. Feldvert was supposedly unhappy with the final result. But regardless, she and her family were interred beneath the angel as early as 1918 and as late as 1924 when she died. Eddie's tree monument was also moved alongside the statue. The statue's transformation from bronze to black poured gasoline on the urban legend fire and so the Black Angel of Death became a local legend. Myths to why the statue turned black include Teresa Feldevert was a very mysterious woman and her evil caused the angel to turn black as a constant reminder of the sins of the family. There was a storm on the night following Teresa's burial and the angel was said to have been struck by lightning. Due to Teresa's unfaithfulness during marriage, the angel blackened to serve as a reminder of her sins. A preacher's son is buried beneath the angel and it turned black because the preacher had murdered his son. Of course, we all know that the real reason is due to oxidization. However, the black angel has several effects of being in its presence, including that no University of Iowa co-ed is a true co-ed unless they have been kissed in front of the black angel. Any girl kissed near her in the moonlight will die within six months. Touching the angel at midnight on Halloween means death within seven years. Anyone who kisses the angel statue will die instantly. Every passing Halloween causes the angel to turn one shade darker as a reminder of the people she has killed. And finally, and possibly most damning for the people of Iowa City, if a virgin is kissed in front of the angel, the angel will return to its original colour, and the curse that turned it black will be lifted. I say this is a damning indictment, as the angel is still black. Something in the House With Us by Mulder182 This experience dates back 20 years to when I was only 8 years old. I can still remember it better than I remember the hike I took with my dog yesterday. First to help paint a mental picture, this occurred on an old farm in Iowa, just outside of Sioux Center if anyone knows where that is. My older brother and I had gone over to spend the night at a friend's farm. They have four kids total, one brother my age, one brother my brother's age, one younger sister, and another older brother that wasn't at the house often. Specifically, he wasn't at the house that night. Fast forward to the night time. My friend and I had gone upstairs, and my brother and his friend stayed downstairs in the living room with sleeping bags. My sister and their parents were in their own rooms on the main level of the house as well. It was almost 1am. My friend and I still hadn't gone to sleep. We were just staying up late, talking, 
being kids. Then things got creepy real fast. We both stopped talking and started listening to the hallway at the same time. Someone was pacing up and down with some very heavy footsteps. We were kids and I'd never experienced anything supernatural at the time, so that thought never crossed my mind. I asked my friend if it could be his oldest brother for any reason. He assured me he wasn't home. So I sat by the door and waited until the footsteps were walking away from our room. I creaked the door open to see nothing in the hallway. The footsteps also stopped. We were both understandably spooked, but I wasn't happy with just closing the door and calling it a night. Even though there was no way someone could have hid in time for me to not see them, I had to be sure. So I convinced my friend to go check it out with me. We left the room and down the hall toward where we last heard the footsteps going. We were maybe five steps down until the staircase took a 90 degree turn down to the main floor. As you went down the first few steps, there was a window facing you. Most farms and acreages have one main yard light, and theirs was throwing enough light through this window to be able to see our way down the steps. Of course, I had to go down first, even though my friend was a good-sized farm boy and I was skin and bones. We crept down the stairs slowly and quietly, having no idea what we were in for. As soon as my foot touched the last step, something significantly taller than me ran right in front of us, knocking me back into the friend on the stairs. Its footsteps were loud, like it was at a dead sprint. Even though it was only inches from us, neither one of us saw anything. It came from the left and ran to our right. The only thing to our left was the living room where my brother and his friend were sleeping. Whatever it was, it was standing over the top of them while they slept. My buddy had had enough. He ran back upstairs to his room. I wanted one last look before I followed him. I grabbed the hand railing and leaned out to let my eyes adjust to the dark a bit more. I saw my brother and his friend sleeping in their sleeping bags to my left. But when I looked to my right where the thing ran off to, I saw something else in the yard. Through the windows, I could see a man walking. He was walking underneath the main yard lamp, so I could see him clearly. He had tattered clothes on, a baseball cap, and a big sack slung over his shoulder that was full of whatever your imagination can think of. Other than the fact that it was 1am, this man seemed strange, because his clothes, skin, and even the bag over his shoulder were all a glowing grey colour. That's when I decided I'd seen enough and ran back to my friend's room. The first thing I did was look out of his window, which faced the same direction that I had seen this man outside. He was in the middle of the most open part of their yard when I saw him downstairs. However, from the upstairs window, there was no one outside. This homeless-looking man, with a giant sack over his shoulder, either set a sprinting record across the yard to hide, or simply vanished underneath the yard light. I've since experienced my fair share of paranormal events, sometimes going out looking for them, but I'll never forget the first encounter I had out at that farmhouse. The Velisca Axe Murder House Tour My family and I went to the Velisca Axe Murder House in Velisca, Iowa this past weekend. It's a small house, quiet, 
but creepy. It's very sad what happened in the house. Eight people, two adults and six children, two of whom being friends with one of the daughters, were brutally murdered with an axe in the house. When you walk in, you can just feel the sadness. The tour starts in the town museum, then to the cemetery, where you see where the family and their two overnight guests were buried, and finally you go to the house. When we walked in, I immediately felt sad. The tour guide took us into the living room and told us of the terrible story. The killer supposedly hid in the attic until the family went to sleep that night. When the tour guide was talking, I saw a shadow that looked like a woman standing in the kitchen looking at us. Before the tour guide left, he told us we could look around by ourselves. My mum's boyfriend, Jeff, went outside to look at something, and a few minutes after he did, we started hearing footsteps upstairs. I also heard what sounded like a lady moaning. My younger sister ran out of the house, and a few seconds later, she came back in with Jeff, and he asked what happened. We told him, so we decided to go upstairs to check it out. While up there, we went into the children's room. I stayed in there for a few minutes and nothing happened. My mum and Jeff decided to go into the attic, where the killer supposedly hid. My sisters ran down the stairs and out the back door, because they didn't want to be in there anymore. I went up into the attic and started hearing children whispering. It sounded like a little girl and a little boy. My mum looked at me and asked what was wrong. I told her, and so we went back into the children's room. I started asking questions, like what their names were, and a little boy told me his name was Paul. I heard that the children liked to play with toy balls, so my mum got a big pink one and started rolling it. Paul wouldn't roll it back, so we thought that maybe it was because it was pink, and he was a boy and didn't like it. My mum went back into the attic to try to find another one, when all of a sudden, a blue and pink ball rolled out from under one of the beds. She came back into the room and stared at it. I picked it up and rolled it to her. She rolled it into one of the corners. It was then rolled over to my feet, and I rolled it back to my mum. Paul rolled the pink ball back to my feet, where the blue and pink one was. I rolled the blue and pink one back to my mum, and the pink one went into the middle of the room. Jeff tried to see if maybe the floors were curved, and that was what was making it roll. He jumped up and down, and the pink ball would not move. By then, Paul had gotten tired of playing with us, so we left the house. It's extremely sad what happened there, and I hope to go back soon. There's something in that house, both good and evil. Roseman Bridge by Iowa Haunting on June 1st, 2019, I was returning to Indiana from a vacation I had taken to Wyoming and South Dakota. My all-time favourite movie is The Bridges of Madison County. For years, I had said that I was going to visit the house and the bridge that were the focal points in the movie. Both are located in Winterset, Iowa. So I decided to head south through Des Moines on my way home so that I could visit these two locations. My first stop was at the house where Francesca lived in the movie. I knew from looking online that the house was abandoned and that I would not be able to actually get up close to the house. I stood at the gate and took pictures, then got back in my car and set my GPS for Roseman Bridge. 
the GPS indicated that it was about 30 minutes away. I drove through rural Iowa with my GPS navigating the way until I came upon Roseman Bridge. It was everything that I thought it would be. I was very excited to take pictures of the bridge and actually get to walk through it. At this time of the evening, no one else was around and the gift shop for the bridge that is close by was closed. The only thing I knew at the time about the bridge was that it was used in the movie. Had I researched it further, I probably would have decided against going into it. That evening in Iowa was beautiful. It was around 70 degrees, no wind, the sun was going down, the birds were singing, I could hear insects buzzing. Everything that you can picture of an early summer evening in rural Iowa. I parked my car in the gravel directly in front of the bridge, got out and read the posted sign telling about when and how the bridge was constructed and began to take pictures. After taking several pictures from the outside of the bridge, I was excited to actually get inside and cross over to the other side. As I approached the bridge, I noticed all the graffiti that had been left by prior visitors. I read several of the names, dates and inscriptions. I then began to cross the bridge. The only way I can really explain what I felt upon entering the bridge is just a sense of uneasiness. I dismissed the feeling as just being alone in a rural setting and the fact that I was entering an enclosed space that was beginning to get dark inside. The further I went into the bridge, the more the sense of unease consumed me. About a quarter of a way into the bridge, it began to sound like the wind was blowing hard outside and the bridge began to creak. A lot. I thought, well it is a wooden bridge, so it is going to creak some. But how weird that when I entered the bridge there was no wind. Honestly, at this point, I thought about turning back, but then I thought, I've driven so far to see this, I'm just going to tough it out and walk all the way through the bridge. I continued walking, and as I got to the centre of the bridge, it began to tremble. I mean, all out shake. I could see small pebbles and dirt, and what I think was dried bat poop, bouncing up and down on the wooden floor in front of me, toward the opening of the bridge. My first thought was that I am not supposed to be walking on the bridge. Is it unsafe? Surely, if they didn't want anyone on the bridge, and it wasn't safe, they would have closed it off. Maybe put up a sign. I mean, looking at the bridge, it didn't appear to be in poor condition. I literally thought the bridge was going to fall, and me with it. Needless to say, I picked up my pace to get to the other side, and out of there. I wanted to run, but was afraid that the pounding of my running if the bridge was going to fall, would only make it worse. I exited the other side into the same world I had been in when I entered the bridge. No wind, and the sun beginning to go down. I felt my heart racing, and walked away from the bridge, over into the grass, and just stood there, wondering what had occurred. After I calmed down, I realised the only way back to my car was to go back through the bridge. No way. I walked around looking for another way to get back across the river. I even considered wading through the water that looked rather deep to get back. I still had another nine hours to go to reach home, and the thought of soaking wet clothes was not appealing, nor was the thought of possibly drowning. I feel like I walked back and forth in that grass for hours, building up the courage to get back across that bridge, when in reality it was probably only a few minutes. The funny thing is, 
that the sense of uneasiness I had felt on the bridge immediately disappeared. Deciding that I didn't really have a choice but to cross back over the bridge, I made my way to the entrance and looked around. I didn't see or hear anything unusual. I mean, that really did just happen, right? Again, second-guessing myself. As I started to enter the bridge, I again get a feeling of uneasiness, almost a feeling of doom. I turn around and go back out to the grass. The feeling leaves. What is going on? Okay, I have no choice but to get back to my car and get out of here. I enter the bridge again. Uneasiness comes back and I start walking at a brisk pace. Please do not let it start shaking. Please don't let it start shaking. At this point, I actually have my head down, arms swinging, and I am moving to get out of there. Again, as I near the centre of the bridge, my feelings of unease are stronger. I can feel the hair standing up on the back of my neck. It feels, feels like there is someone else with me on the bridge. I'm not about to look around and find out. I just want out of there. As I pass the midway point of the bridge, I actually hear and feel all at the same time something fly over the top of my head and actually touch my hair. At the same moment, a blast of cool air hits my entire body, like I'm walking by a window air conditioner. At this point, I'm done caring about if that bridge is going to fall. I take off running. Was it a bird? Bat? Maybe. I don't know. I never looked. But where did the cold air come from? As I exited the bridge and ran to my car, I again noticed that things were back to normal on the outside of the bridge. No wind, no cold air. As soon as I got home, I googled Roseman Bridge Haunted and found several stories stating that the bridge is haunted and that all the locals know this. Ghosts? Spirits? I don't know. Maybe. I don't have a reasonable explanation for any of it. However, I do know that that will be my one and only trip to Roseman Bridge. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video. I really do hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to leave a like and also subscribe to the channel, making sure you hit that notification bell so that you never miss a video. So, until next time, sleep tight.